Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Let's just begin. Let me pray as we begin together this morning. Father, I I praise you for this day, and I praise you, Lord, for being here with us. God, it would be real easy to to just move on, but right now, Lord, after seeing that, I just want to praise your name. You are King Jesus. We we worship your name. We, We just praise you. We thank you, Lord, because you are so amazing. And the things that you want to do in our lives, the thing that you have in mind, Lord, it's it blows our mind. It just amazes us that you care so much. Why would you want to spend time with us? Why would you want to be in relationship with someone like me? But Lord, you do. You love us. You care about us. You care about the human race. You care about our earth. You care about us as people. And uh, so Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for that. And we ask today, God, that you would just uh, speak into everything that we do here today, that you would speak to our hearts, my heart, my mind right now. Lord, I need a a fresh touch from you. I need to hear from you this morning. I need to spend some time in your presence. Lord, it's not enough to come here to a church. The church is not very meaningful unless we meet with you. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to come right now and to speak to us. Lord, you know about those who are sick and away from us today, different ones, Lord, that couldn't be here for whatever reason. God, we pray your touch upon them today. I know several have mentioned to me those who are family members who are sick. We pray for them, Lord. Touch them today. Lord, I pray especially for Everett Neal today. God, I pray you would be there with him as he is in the last days of this life on earth, that you would be with the family. God, we just need your help. We recognize, Lord, that we have nothing, that right now our lives are just so so broken and so meaningless that we're so powerless without you, but with you, Lord, all things are possible. And We have power beyond our wildest imagination to live this life. So we thank you, Lord, and we just give you praise. I love you, I need you, and I ask you to be with us in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. If if you have Bibles, you can take them out. We're going to go through a lot of different scriptures today. There should be, most of it should be up on the board, um, and you can read along with us as we go with that. But we're going to look in Genesis and John and Ephesians and Romans today, so going to be over a, a large section of scripture as we go through it today talking about the third core value the third core value today the first two we we've talked about over the last couple of weeks and then last week we took the time off we didn't jump back into it because it was labor day weekend but i want to talk about the third core value that i believe defines the culture of our church the first core value was god is good in everything that we do whenever we get together whenever we start to talk whenever we meet Whenever we have a discussion, whenever someone addresses the crowd here, whenever there's a situation, the one truth that stands out in all of those things is this, that God is good, and He always is. You may not understand that at the time, but you may look at sometimes and go, man, I don't know, where's the goodness of God in that? But always God is good, and we need to keep that in mind right now as we begin together. The second core value is this, that our salvation creates a joyful identity in each one of us. It creates a joyful identity in each one of us. When I'm saved, it changes who I am. It's not like I get saved and I stay the same. Something changes when I get saved. God does something in me that is actually uh, uh, something that's real. There's a real 
change that takes place inside of me when I am saved. When I'm saved from my sins, I come to understand who I am. I am a child of God. Bible clearly states that, that I become his child. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 16. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are, not we might be, but we are God's children. And that's the joyful identity that I live in today, that I am a child of God. No matter what other people say, no matter what kind of things hit me, no matter how tough life can become at times, I am a child of God, and I live in that joyful identity. Well, the third core value I want to explore with you today is this, that, that since we are children of God, since God is always good and we are children of God, we now choose to live our lives as a response to the grace of God. That's a core value that we have to live in. Every day, we ought to live our lives as a response to the grace of God. Grace is often misunderstood and dumbed down these days. And, and I've heard a lot of people talk about grace, and they talk about being saved by grace. And they say, well, you know, I'm saved by grace, therefore... Whatever I do, it really doesn't matter that much because God will forgive me. He always forgives. God is always grace. And we often use grace as an excuse to do whatever I feel like doing because after all, I know God loves me. I'm his child. He'll never do anything against me. I can live any way I choose to. He'll indulge me. But that's living my life in abuse of God's grace, not in view of God's grace, not in response to grace. When someone does something for us, we respond by saying thank you. At least I was taught that. I think that's a good way to live. Somebody does something for me, thank you. I appreciate that. That really means a lot to me. When somebody does something for me, sometimes I buy them a gift card. Say, wow, that was really awesome. We're really grateful for what they've done, and we're even more grateful when someone dies for us. You ever gone to the funeral of a soldier, someone who's given their life? completely for you and for their nation. We're like Private Ryan in the movie, Saving Private Ryan. If you've ever watched that movie, at the very beginning of the movie, Private Ryan, now an older man, is at the tombstones of the men who gave their lives for him. He's in France. He's in Normandy. He's at that incredible cemetery there. And as he walks among those crosses, he comes finally to those men who died for him. And you hear him say words something like, I hope I did enough. I tried to live a life that was worthy of this sacrifice. That's grace. And that's being grateful for it. That's living it out. That's saying, hey, wow, what you did for me. As Christians, as the church, we got to choose to learn to live our lives as a response to the grace of God. We, we, we can't live in irresponsible grace we can't live in this i'll just do whatever i want to do that that isn't what life in christ is about at all and so there are four scenes that take place that i want to look at to help us understand what grace really is and then to kind of bring this back so it begins in the book of genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 and these are words that you've read many times but but it's the beginning of grace in here it says the lord god took the man put him in the garden of eden to work it 
and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, if, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And he doesn't say you might die. He says you will certainly die. Adam's the first man. He's the prototype. And he represents everybody else that will ever live on the face of the earth. And he is given this place to live. He's put in this incredible garden of Eden. All he could ever want, all he could ever need is there for him. And God fellowships with him daily there. He lives in a place of fellowship with God. The law was very simple that God gave to our representative Adam. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a very simple law. That's not a, you might eat if you want to on Thursday, the third time around the, you know, the moon, you can do it. It's nothing like that. It's no complication to this. It's very simple. Don't. Anybody here ever told your kids don't? What do they do? They do. That's what I've noticed. Don't doesn't mean they, they, they somehow can't hear the NT at the end of don't. All they hear is do. You know, and they go and do it. And that's the way this is. They don't, we're not supposed to eat. It's good law, simple. It, it, it just don't do it. And I can see Adam and God, they're out for a walk and they're walking along, talking to each other and they're in the garden and Adam's going, nice flowers, God. That's beautiful. You did a good job. Ooh, look at that lake. Wow, look at the big fish in that lake. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Whoa, giraffe. What's that, God. Nice fruit trees. And then he's walking a little further and it's, well, what's that scrubby little tree right there, God? Did you make a mistake? Not much to look at. Fruit looks kind of dried up and rotten. What's that all about? Well, Adam, I made all these trees for you. There's lemons and oranges, apples and bananas. There's kiwi. There's mangoes. Not green peppers. Mangoes. We're in Indiana. You have to clarify that in Indiana. Cashews, coconuts, cherries, apples. There's everything you could ever want. And Adam, it's all for you to enjoy. Eat it till you're full. There's acres and acres of it. And guess what? No calories. There's no fat, low in cholesterol. You won't have to worry about a thing. It's good. It's really good. But what about that ugly little tree, God? I want to know what that's about. What's, what, what's with that? Well, Adam, that's the only tree, the one tree that I want you to leave alone. Just don't bother that tree. Just leave it alone. It's ugly. The fruit is bitter. In fact, if you eat from that tree, if you eat the fruit from that tree, you're going to die. That's why I made it ugly, God said. So you would stay away from it. So you would just ignore it. So you wouldn't desire it. Walk away from it. You got two or three billion acres of fruit trees here to eat from. You don't need that one tree. Just avoid that tree. And that moves us into the next scene where I call it the curse. See, God pronounces a curse over whoever would eat from that tree. A lot of times we don't understand that. We think that doesn't really mean what it means, but it means curse. It doesn't mean that he said, maybe this will happen. It's a curse. Something is cursed. It's, it's, it's bad. That's not a good thing. And he is pronouncing a curse on whoever ate that tree. Genesis 2, 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's the curse that's been pronounced over mankind. Anyone who would eat of that tree. You aren't going to maybe die. You will die. 
And it is a curse, and it's not going away. The curse was fulfilled when Adam and Eve made the choice and ate of that scrubby little tree. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they and the world began to die. And, and you may not seem like it at first because they went on and they lived, and the Bible says that they had children and they lived on, but they had disobeyed the law. They had sinned. See, the problem was God couldn't live with them anymore. God had created the world for him to live in too, by the way. Someday I want to talk about that a little bit more, that, that this world was created for God and us together. He created it so we could be together. It was a tabernacle thing. He, he created that for us to live in. We couldn't live there anymore because God can't live with sin. It's broken his heart. Must have broken his heart. Man, this was so good. We don't know how long they fellowship before this happened. But when Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. And they were now firmly and permanently under the curse, and so they died. Death became a reality in our world. The truth is, is not one person since then has the right to live for one moment in this world. Every moment you live is an act of God's grace. Every moment you live, let that sink in. Every moment of every day that you live is an act of God's grace. You do not deserve it. It is not yours. It is a gift. The fact that you ever drew one breath after the birth, after your birth, is an act of grace on God's part. I'm standing here today as one who deserves death. I am dead in my sins if there is no Savior. That's what the curse said. And we, by our disobedience, have all fallen under the curse of death, and that's why the earth is in the physical mess it's in. The earth is in a mess because it's under the curse of death as well. It isn't just human beings, but all animals, all trees, all grass, all the air, the oxygen we breathe, this whole world is under the curse of death and is falling under that curse and is dying. And that seems really harsh to some of us, but God cannot tolerate sin. This was his world and he created it for him to live in with us and we messed it up. He created it as a tabernacle, a place to live in fellowship with his creation and God knew that if we sin, he can no longer fellowship with us because of sin. So many people ask the question or say they have a problem with God because they say things like this. If God is good, and if God is love, then why do he allow so many people to die? Why does he allow so many people in the Old Testament? How many of you ever read the Old Testament? And it talks about 30,000 people dying at one time, or he wipes out whole countries and women, children, all of them. And, and we go, wow, is that right? Should God be doing that? Is that is that a loving God? Does that God care about anybody? Or maybe they ask this question. You know, my mom had cancer and she died. My, my, my sister, my brother, my dad. The reality is this, and, and you need to get this, and, and everybody here needs to hear this clearly. There was no cancer. There was no death. There were no wars until mankind sinned. God created this world perfectly. Perfectly suited for us and perfectly suited for him so that we could spend our time together. The curse was simple, that you will die, and every one of us is under the curse of death, and every one of us deserves to die. And so war, cancer, famine, floods, hurricanes are all part of the curse that we call death. It's all part of it. You may not like that. You may say, I just, I, I just can't hardly handle a God that would do that. But that's because you're still rebelling against God. But the reality is, is that he told us that's what would happen way back here before we ever chose sin. 
We deserve this. When we get cancer, when we get caught up in a flood, we're getting what we deserve. You guys, some of you may not like what I'm going to say here in the next few minutes. If you don't, you can just tune me out and go to sleep. I'll understand. But you need to hear this. God could quite literally have wiped the planet clean and made it an empty void again. He could have just said, oh, turn it back to a dirty old rock floating around out there. It doesn't matter. But he chose grace instead. And that takes us to the next scene. For the moment, Adam and Eve chose to sin on anyone who drew breath and was allowed to live, did it by grace. So every day, every moment, every moment is a moment that God allows you and I, you and I to have and a moment we don't deserve because we deserve death. That means this, that life is a complete and total gift. Hang on to that. No matter how hard it gets, anybody here ever have a hard time? Some of you go through some big, tough times. You know what? Your life's a gift. You know, that's why it's so sad when we see people take their lives. They're throwing away grace. You know, when we sit here and say, well, it's not fair. I have this and I don't have that and I didn't get what I want. You're alive. You're breathing air. It's a gift. Every night when you sleep inside, every day when you sit down and eat food, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. Life is a total and complete gift. No matter how hard, no matter how sick you are, God is good and he loved his creation and the curse was that we would die. But because of our sin, we had no way to pay the debt except through our life and death. So God chose. He decided out of his goodness to pay the debt for us. John 3.16 talks about that. Jesus explained this, taught us about the extravagant goodness of God. In John 3.16 in, in the gospel, we read these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to save us. He loves us. He chose to come to earth as one of us, to take our place in death so that we could live. So grace is simply that God who is good would choose to die so that we could live. He took our place. A lot of people want to look around and say it's not fair. I shouldn't have to, whatever, going on and on. Jesus Christ took your place, and it's a gift, and it's huge. Romans, Paul wrote about that, and he said, you see, at just the right time, this is Romans chapter 5, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, how shall we, uh, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, he says in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what that means simply is this. Let me just give it to you real simple. God has taken your place. He took the curse upon himself and that's grace. That's God's love for you. He took it so there'd be no more, um, no more condemnation so that you wouldn't have to live a life of condemnation, so that you don't have to walk around getting all beat up, so that you don't have to live a life of, of sin. You're under grace so that you can be free of sin. It's, it's 
You still committed it. You're still guilty. But God took your place, and now you're not guilty. He took your place. You didn't do it. It's not because you're so good. It's not because you do everything right. I hear a lot of people, and they act like they like they deserve grace. No, no one here deserves grace. Mother Teresa didn't deserve grace. Billy Graham did not deserve grace. John the Apostle did not deserve grace. Paul the Apostle did not deserve grace. None of them. They all deserved death, and God took their place. He took the curse upon himself. That is grace. He took it so there would be no more condemnation. We're under grace so that we can be free of sin. I want you to hear that. You can be free of sin. He didn't give you grace so that you can go on living in your sin. And that's very important for you to hear because a lot of people think that grace means, well, I can just do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. God just, you know, he forgives it and it's like I just go, I go ahead and commit it and he goes ahead and forgives it and I go ahead and commit it and he goes ahead and forgives it. He gave you grace so that you don't have to live in your sin. He gave you grace so that you can beat the power of sin so that you don't have to live in sin. So that we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live like broken people. We don't have to live like people who've been, been used up by the world. We don't have to live like the world. We get to live differently. We're free, free of its consequences and free of it, period, free of its reign. I'm no longer obligated to return to my sins. A lot of people say, well, you got to sin all the time. Not intentionally. You will probably fall short of things. The Bible talks about sin as harmatia, and that is, it is missing the mark. You know, sin is like shooting an arrow at a target and missing the mark. The target is Christ-likeness. And you will fall short, but the target is to be like Jesus. And we can hit that target now because sin has been defeated in our lives. So the response is our last thing I want to look at. The response, the reality of grace demands a response from you. You can't sit in a sermon like this and say, well, that was fine and go home and do whatever you want. You are going to make a choice. It may not be one, that you go down to an altar and pray and say, okay, God, I want you. And you may say, well, I didn't really make a choice. I just walked out of here. But in that, you have made a choice about the grace of God. When you leave here without anything being said or done. See, when we realize and begin to acknowledge all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we have to respond. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's grace mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice holy pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship do not conform to this world to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will so this is so far from the cheap grace that we live in today and that we've lived in for so long it's so different that this is coming to realize all that god has done for you and then when you realize what he has done and all that he has given to you, you do like what we do when we're grateful. You run out and buy him a gift certificate. No, you, you fall on your face before him and you offer him your life. That's the only proper response to the gift of grace of God. There's nothing else. This is not, this is not about, okay, I'll quit doing something. See, I, 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 I do believe that, that it's okay for us to have some idea of, of right and wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's, but there's signposts along the way. It's not like we're going to go over here and we're going to make a list and we're going to say, okay, I'm going to quit doing that and I'll quit doing this and I'll quit doing that. That makes me holy because it doesn't. It's like guardrails. 
when you drive, you don't bang in the guardrails to guide your car. Most of us. Some of us. They're there to remind us that there's edges, but we drive in the center of the road where we belong over on the part that goes this way or this way. And the whole idea is, is that those are there, we're reminded of them, but that's not what this is about. This is not about you not doing something. Get this clear. This is us being grateful and coming to the point where we realize that God has sent Jesus, that, that we have this opportunity to restore the relationship that was broken in the garden because of Jesus Christ. And so we restore that relationship and we get on our knees before God and we offer him our lives I'm yours see the reality is every time I look at my life and despise my situation and I talk to a lot of people and they just say I don't know why I had to be born this way I had the worst parents and they were just this and I had the worst situation and and my work and everything about it and oh my goodness my life is just horrible and I hear that a lot Every time I look at my life and wish I were dead, every time I say life isn't fair, every time I say it's my life and I'll do with it what I want to, every time we choose to live in a disobedience to the grace of God, we're showing our ungratefulness. We're saying it doesn't matter what you have done. I'm going to live like I want to live. And that's just the way it's got to be, God. And you'll understand, right? When we recognize what God has done for us by grace, how he saved us unto eternal life, how he lifted the curse off of us, how by grace he has sanctified us and set us apart from the world and sin, and we're under no obligation to sin. By grace, when we understand by grace, he made us holy and has washed us clean. When we understand by grace, he has filled us with his Holy Spirit to supernaturally be empowered to live out the likeness of Jesus Christ here on earth. We have to be grateful. Just have to be. Anything less than that, and I don't know what else to say. I stood one day at my cousin's funeral after he was killed in Vietnam, and I was a young kid, but I remember the gratitude that people expressed for what he had done. I never heard anyone say, well, you know, it's just the way it goes. Some people are going to live, some are going to die. Nothing like that. They just were in awe of what he had done. And we stood there as his body went to the grave at 19 years old and shook our heads and in awe of what he had just done. But when it comes to Jesus, a lot of us are going, well, you know, that's a long time ago. It's as good as today. And we should be standing here in awe of what he did. And in grateful, grateful response, we should bow before him and say, here's my life. Take me, use me. We have to become grateful. And how do you express your gratitude? You live in the present and immediate obedience to God. You say yes to him and you become so obedient to him. Not, not doing things, not obedience in the sense of I won't do this and I won't do that and get yourself a list. It's not like that, but obedience to him and Lord, here's my life. I surrender it to you. Use me any way you see fit. Use me to do whatever you want. I'll even teach children 
and teenagers if you want me to because that's the big sacrifice in most of our lives, I think. I don't know. And we will love God because He first loved us. And we will live in constant fellowship with Him. We won't spend the day doing what we want and at night going, oh, oh yeah, God, good night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I, I, I send my prayer, I can go sleep now. Or whatever. But we will live in constant relationship with Him. Knowing that all day long, everything that I do, when I'm at work in my office, when I'm at work in my uh, business, wherever it is, or doing whatever it is that I do, or outside, or whatever I'm doing at my house, or whatever I do, I do it all as unto Him. That I live in constant relationship with Him. That I talk to Him constantly. That it's ongoing. I think that when we walk like Adam did in the garden, that literally you walk along and you say that. I, I was telling on Wednesday night about a guy, I read about him, he said he had this epiphany. He said he was out walking one day, and God said to him very clearly, look at that tree. And he said, oh man, I thought, good, I'm going to have my burning bush experience. It's going to be so cool, you know, God's going to burn this bush, and I'm going to have some big thing happen. So he said, I stopped and I looked at that tree, and nothing happened. And he said, I thought maybe God had gotten so busy with the Middle East, he'd forgotten to finish what he was doing. So I said, hey, God, you got anything else with this? And he goes, oh, yeah. He said, uh, why does there have to be anything else? Just look at the tree. And he's like, uh, okay, good tree, God. Yeah, it's a great tree, isn't it? He said, it's the most underwhelming epiphany ever, but it reminded him that when you're with God, you know, just appreciating the tree is a moment with God. You know, we're walking along, we live in life, and we're like, Oh, you know, we live in Indiana. There's nothing good in Indiana, just corn, except for, you know what? If you take the time to look, it's beautiful. And it's God's country, and he's made it, and we need to appreciate it. You know, I'm serious. You know, for so long, I've, I've lived my life in just complaining and griping about everything, and I've missed the point. You know, if I'm living with God, if he's my savior, if I really want to be in obedience to him, I've got to learn to appreciate him every day all the day for what he's doing the fact that he saved me the fact that he put me in community the fact that he gave me a family now i hear some of you well you don't know my wife kind of thing and you know what i understand you know we're not all perfect but i'm going to tell you something you know there's people out there that have no one you are blessed if you have anyone in your life we're to live in constant fellowship with him we're to offer our lives completely to him we are to live our lives as image bearers of Christ. In other words, we are to live so that people can see Jesus. Because right now, the world needs to see Jesus. If it needs anything, it needs to see Jesus. And it's not going to see Jesus any other way than through you. As you live out your life, as you offer your life to Him as a living sacrifice, you will be like Christ. And then the world will see you, and they'll make a difference. It will make a huge difference. And this is so different than the way that we act these days. We declare that I'm saved to go to heaven to do my own thing. We are so clearly wrong on that. We have time for the body life only if something else I love more doesn't get in the way. And I know that sounds so negative, but it's true. We are living our lives these days, and we are uh, making the community irrelevant. Uh, as long as I get to heaven, it doesn't matter. But that's not what God has in mind. And I'm going to start teaching more to help us understand that in, in another time. But the reality is, is that what happens in here matters. And when we get together, it matters. And living life together matters. And it matters a lot. And us saying, well, I'll get there when I can get there. That's a problem. And God will show us that. 
when we do these things, we're acting ungrateful for the gift of life we've been given. It's a choice you and I get to make. What will we do with this life? That's the coolest thing. I look at my life and I get to choose what I'm going to do with it. I wish that I had chosen differently in some areas of my life. Anybody here other than me wish you'd chosen differently along the way on some things? Got a few things I would like to have done differently. But the cool part is, is that I'm 62 and I could easily live another, you know, four or five years and, and uh, or more maybe, hopefully, and, and I get to choose how I'm going to live that life. I get to choose that. That's God's plan, and he's given me the option every day. Every day is brand new, and I get to choose every day to live for him. Every day. Every day. You know, sanctification is not something I did a long time ago when I knelt and got my second prayer in. Sanctification is something that happens then, but it's sanctified and being sanctified. And it's an ongoing, every day when I get up, it's a renewing of those commitments and the vows to God that I will live for you today. And sometimes it's a moment-by-moment situation when I get myself into a mess and I'm sitting there and I don't know what to do and I'm starting to find myself getting irritated and I have to say, God, I forgot. I gave my life to you. So I'm going to use you right now to get me out of this. Could you help me? Could you show me what to do? So you get to choose for yourself what you're going to do. You can please yourself and do whatever you want to do and make yourself you know, happy doing things for this world, things that will ultimately not matter, or you can live in gratitude for what God your Father who loves you has done for you, and you can live as a loving response to His grace. That, that's an amazing thing, the way to live, in loving response to His grace. Every day when I get up, I get to choose to do that. I can go out and I can find people that are around me and I can love them like Jesus loved them. That's loving them in response to God's grace. There's nothing I do that's loving that is not in response to His grace. And I get to choose. You get to choose. Nathan, come on up and and lead us in worship. And I think it's a place that I want to leave it right there and let you think about that. You know, I, I don't necessarily know what you need to do or not do. My thought is right now that we are probably all in a place where we need to hear from Jesus and we need to make some choices in our lives that that a lot of us are probably, you know, kind of gotten a little casual about our relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian because I think most people here are followers of Jesus, but we get casual about our relationship with Jesus. We get casual about what he means to us and what he's done for us. We get casual about grace and so we've kind of started you know just doing what we want to do and i think maybe god is speaking to some hearts and maybe we need to pray and just say god right now i need to recommit this to you i need to make sure that i've got it where it belongs and and i want to be clear on this that i'm choosing to give you my life i'm not going to continue to live as unresponsive or unloving responsive to grace. I want to live in loving response to the grace you've given to me. I owe you everything, God. Even if you're okay with God, maybe it's a good time just to come down and remind him how much you love him, that that commitment you made is still good. I don't know. You don't have to come at all. You can just do it wherever. But I just love the altar. I still feel like that's a great place for us to pray as a community. So I always open it up and give you a chance. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing, and then we'll dismiss after that. If anybody wants to pray, feel free to come up and
and pray right now. We'd love to have you, and I'll pray with you. Father, we thank you for that, and we thank you for the truth that, that uh, you gave us what we have. Everything we have here, Lord, we have to be grateful for because you have given it to us. Lord, my prayer is, is that we will live a life of love and gratefulness for the grace that you have given, that we will live that out every day. Lord, you are so good. You have called us children. And so, Lord, we live in that beautiful place and we live with gratitude. Help us to show that this week, Lord, as we go out. Help it not to be about what I've done because, Lord, what I've done doesn't matter. All that matters is what you've done in me. So, Lord, help me to love. Give me the grace to love and love deeply and to love well. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, right now I pray for those who are here at the altar praying, Lord, if there's anything that they're asking you to do, Lord, meet them as your grace always does. And we'll give you praise, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.